Hello, everyone, and welcome into Debate Night. Yet again, I'm Hunter, joined as always by Brody, and Silas is back this week. I'm back. Silas, we have to start it off with you. Okay. First and foremost, because last week you were not here, and mm-hmm. so therefore you could not defend one of your all-time bad takes <laughs> that you had on Twitter. What's, what's which that? was you were defending whole one at Jones Supreme. Oh, yeah. He hasn't defended that yet, right? No, we no. He didn't, We were talking about how it was a great hole but terrible for hole one and literally talked about it for 15 minutes. Silas didn't, say, Silas didn't say a single thing. And then literally a couple of days later. because well, I didn't. Because what? I didn't know you were. <laughs> Explain yourself. I don't know. I don't know. I I didn't I didn't understand. That's what you were talking about. And so, uh, why do you think it's a good whole? Three one? days later, Sasha just comes out on Twitter and is like, "Dude, this whole one is like the best whole one ever." Well, <laughs> see, seeing it on coverage, first of all, I did not say it was the best whole one ever. Second of all, I'll find your Twitter take. Okay, look it up. I will. But no, but I think it. I think it's good. It puts the pressure on early. You know, every pro I feel like should be making that shot. Do you think? Really? Do you think there's no pressure on the first shot at country club what what shot is that it's the par that's five that's the par four five par yeah. five down o- the ob left fairway. ob right oh n- not not really okay i mean you just you just chuck it up and and you, so I mean, what, you just what's your it. what's your inbounds permission silo inbounds per percentage on hole one at emporia country what's club? mine yeah if you were playing there you threw 10 shots how many are inbounds um, well, you have to also throw into how many are not hitting the trees on the right because those trees in the right come into play as well. And if you hit the trees on the right, yeah. you're not good. Well, did did anyone throw that like big hyzer on Everyone. hole one? On hole one, not everybody. Um, I would say probably like 25 percent of the field would throw the big hyzer. Okay, I went. I feel like that's. I went over the tree twice. That's in someone's yard. Oh. There's a tree. There's a tall tree. It's the tallest tree out there, and it's in <laughs> someone's yard. And I shanked my what? drive twice over it. To where if oh. it would have been like five feet shorter, I'm I'm going a hundred feet out of bounds. Like I, I'm going a hundred feet up the fairway. So I got lucky. But I think. Oh jeez. I think Silas. This is one of those situations where, again, the course it's really really hard to convey how challenging a shot is when there aren't trees on camera yeah when there's not Mm. when there's not trees and you're trying to convey it on camera it's very challenging um because like even hole two for example at country club you might think like oh that's a super easy shot until you stand up on that tee pad and try to throw that shot um it's tough. So, well, I would say okay. sometimes, at least for me personally, when I'm in the open and I don't have trees telling me where I have to go and where I have to land, yeah. it's a lot harder for me to throw that shot because, it. yeah, because you're like trying to visualize where you want a shot to land in just open space. So, like your release point, sometimes you can pick like, oh, I'm throwing at this water tower over here or this tree over here, or whatever. But mm-hmm. like sometimes it's just a feel thing where it's like, I want the distance to land here. So I have to swing it out this wide. Whereas like when you're in the woods, you literally have it like mapped out for you. Like this is yeah. what you have to do. This is how your disc has to fly. When now you said 
what your, what your take was was I like hole one at hole one at Jones puts the pressure on right away, um, mm-hmm. and then you told Brody you thought everyone should be making like all pros should be making that shot. So Brody, <laughs> you have ten throws at the island. How many times are you putting on the island? Let's go that way. Um, okay, ten. First of all, I'm maybe making one. How far is it? I would bet I would bet you don't make one out of ten, Silas. What? How far is Ooh. it? Three hundred feet. Th- yeah, like three twenty. Okay. And then the island's like the circle, yeah. more or less. Okay, right? I'm, not making, I'm not making Smaller any of them. The circle. Smaller than the circle. And I'm you have a gap zero. to hit. And you have a tree that overhangs zero. the right-hand side. So if you go down the right-hand there's, side. There's, I, can't, I can't throw the big hyzer. So then we'll, no, what's your play? Have, Wait, are, you are, standing, you are you standing up and laying up? You, I would have to go down the middle. Who play, who threw the big hyzer? Yeah, no one. Wait, is that saying big hyzer? Did, did you watch the world championships? Is that saying big hyzer? Huh? Did you watch the tournament? <laughs> That's what he just said. I thought you were talking about country who club. The big yeah, like, I thought you were talking about country like club. Over all the club? trees. Are you talking Jones? Yes. Over the trees of Jones on yeah. the right. No one threw that. No, no one threw that. No, some people threw like a, like a baby hyzer. It was a safe shot. No, there's. Size. Are we talking about the same hole here? Size. There's a huge tree. Yes. Just short of the green. I don't think he watched it. I don't think he knows the hole. I don't think he knows the hole. Yeah, there's the, the it's it's like the stone surrounding and yeah. then there's mulch. So you think people were going big hyzer and they there's should get that easy. There's a tree that you literally have. To, okay, not only do you have to one throw like a 400 foot like bombing air hyzer that's way higher than you normally would throw, but there's also a tree right on the right hand side of the green to where now uh. you're just lucky of whether or not it misses that tree and goes in bounds. You might throw the perfect hyzer, hits the tree, and you're ob. I didn't see a single person try that. No, we oh, we, they might we messed I, it, around on camera, with it. It looked like it looked like that would be the play. This is what camera. needs to happen, and I'm completely fine. Lie. I'm completely fine with doing like a break even situation because I know right now it might be difficult to travel with a lot of people. We need because what's happening right now is like I just don't again like what I'm saying is a lot of times it's very hard to convey on camera the difficulty of shots, the difficulty of holes. And, you know, you get a lot of people, you know, on social media giving their takes and stuff without actually being there and playing it. So I think we need this offseason. I'm completely fine to do like two trips and we go to either like Emporia and we bring Silas, we bring Trevor, we bring bring everyone and we film a bunch of videos at these courses and we maybe go somewhere else as well. Um, I don't know where another good place. Waco might be a good place because that's just a little bit south. You guys haven't played Waco, have you? I have. I don't think Silas and Trevor. Has has no. Yeah. No, 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 I haven't. So maybe we do Waco too because that's another course that obviously like Paul shot, what, 18 under before they changed the pars and stuff. And, yeah, and, it would have been like 15 or something. And people just shred that course. Whole 18, a lot of people think like that's just like an easy shot, right? I think we do that. I think we need to start because people loved when you guys played with me and Drew at USCGC too. Oh, and, 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 and the that, Texas yeah. State's ones too. But like this silent, this Silas take of like hole one being because it sounds like he thinks it's super easy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like how many well, times are you? It was, let me clarify. It was. It, I, I was not saying it would be super easy for me. But it, to you, no, it's you like a no brainer that a pro stands a pro. on the tee. Yeah, the like a pro stands on the tee. Three hundred feet further than me. Silas, so you're saying a pro three. like Paul McBeth steps up? He's hitting the island every time, no doubt. 
I mean, he missed most it both of the time that you should. He missed <laughs> so it he only both hit days. it once. <laughs> yeah. They had the lead, the lead card <laughs> second day. Laid Third up. day. Third they, day. Three people went OB. Three people Round went three. OB. And then another person laid Eagle. up. Eagle. Eagle. Yeah. Man. Eagle, your yeah. number one player in the world laid up on a 300-foot par three. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just depressing. It's a bad hole one. So now size. you understand why hole one sucks. No, because one. you still like it. <laughs> no, I like it because I, it, it puts the pressure on early, to where if you if so, if Brody makes it, if Brody makes it and put it on hole two. Okay, put it on hole two. Then put fine. it on hole okay. sixteen. It's just that it's hole one. Put it on hole sixteen. Yeah, it, if yeah it no, I agree. Two, I think hole sixteen or seventeen. But I'm saying 16, if you want, I, I like it in the. I like it. I like it that it's early in the in the round. Early in the early in the round. Sure. Size, I mean, it's two, a solid hole. Hole two is a very hard par five. Hole three is a very hard first shot for people that can't throw five hundred feet. Hole four is a very tricky drive. Hole five is a tough uh, par three. Hole six is a really hard island hole. Hole seven is a super hard tee shot. <laughs> hole eight's a four hundred and twenty foot par three. So, so they're all matched in difficulty. The thing is, I think sometimes. So then, like whole, like like, what's wrong Here's with hole thing. one if they're all the same difficulty? Here's the thing. Putting is too easy. Okay, I'll go back to my whole thing. Putting is too easy, and that doesn't. Okay, and again, a lot of people take this off and say, "Oh, Brody, you're 140th in the in, in on tour and putting. It's not that easy." Yes, I know. I'm not great at putting, but my point is, is it is still easy uh, to the point of where if someone throws a 15 foot shot, a 20 foot shot, a 25 foot shot, and a 30 foot shot away from the basket, they're more than likely all going to get the same score. And I think that's the big thing is like you'll look at the scores on some of these courses and be like, oh, these guys are shredding it. They're 10, 12 under. And it's just a lot of times it's because people are just putting so well and they don't realize how hard these tee shots are. These tee shots are difficult. Could they made them harder for worlds? For sure. I think they should have definitely tightened them a little bit, especially because there wasn't as much wind out there. But those world courses, I don't know why we, we need to get off of worlds here in a second, but I really, I think we don't get enough appreciation for some of these courses with the tee shots being as tricky as they are because a lot of times it's like, well, wherever you end up, you should still be able to throw it to 40 feet to the basket and then it's like you have a putt. Where I think if we made it to where, you know, you're only guaranteed, I guess, guaranteed a birdie if you throw it to like 15 feet and not 30 feet, I think then you'd see a lot more stress on these tee shots because now if you throw a 470 foot tee shot instead of a 500 foot tee shot, it's going to be much harder for you to get into that kind of landing zone that you want. But I think, I think, I think the I people want to see size plays courses. I think people want to see size plays courses. I think why I like this hole is that it makes pros look like Look like your average disc that, that's, that's fine. No, that's not a, on hole one. But that's also a terrible, a terrible thing to do at the beginning Look, of a world championship. Is like that's, that's insane. Hey, you set up for the first hole. Hey, Billy, it's like all oh, these guys. Hey, but I feel yeah, like exactly. in my mind they should be making that. 
But Silas, like, think about okay, your mind's wrong. I don't think this actually. I, know. I need to get out there. I need to get out. I don't there. think this happened that much. But think about if you're like, hey, all right, I'm gonna have a viewing party for Worlds. I'm gonna have my five or six buddies come over that don't play disc golf. That they're like, why? Why do you play disc golf? It's lame. Whatever. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna have them come over, watch the World Championship, and then that's the first thing they see on hole one <laughs> is three people going OB and one person laying up on a par three. That that is not the look that you really want to give. If anything, you want to showcase, and and this happens a lot with commentators, right? You hear commentators a lot of times being like, "Holy cow, that was a 500 foot hyzer backhand. That was incredible," and they don't really tell you that it was a hundred feet downhill shot, or that you know they make it to where sometimes it seems like the pros. And this happens in golf. This happens in the NFL. This happens in every sport. And that's the part of it. You try to make the comment, the commentators try to build it up to where the average fan watching at home is like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. When in fact, if you're a diehard fan or you're a professional yourself, a lot of times you'll be like, oh man, they're really overhyping that. That wasn't actually that crazy. Um, that's true. That's true. That's, that's the best point. But that might make me recant my statement was finally the fact that. You know, somebody watching disc golf and they're looking at this and they're like, oh, that's not that hard. That was one of the I, I recant. I recant my statement. That was one Tweet of the that. issues. Kidding, you know, that was one of the issues that we had a lot with Ultimate Frisbee was whenever it got windy, it was really hard to convey how windy it was out there. And mm. everyone, everyone has gone to the beach and thrown a Frisbee before on the beach on a windy day and realizes how difficult it is. But it's just very hard to convey how windy it is on the field. And so when you're seeing people mess up on throws, you know, you're like, what the heck? These guys suck. And I think, too, disc golf has a little bit of that as well. I've heard tons of stories. And even when I took Kelsey out for the first time and, like, I would make a 60-foot putt, there would be no, no celebration. Right. And I've heard stories of people like making aces with their girlfriends or whatever, coming out and watching him and then not like not celebrating because they're just like, oh, aren't you supposed to do that every time? Like there's a huge disconnect (laughs) in the difficulty of disc golf versus in golf. If you take a random person that doesn't play golf to watch you play golf and you hit a 300 yard drive off the tee, they're going to be like, holy cow, you hit the crap out of the ball. Or if you make a 50-foot putt, 30-foot putt on the green, they're going to be like, wow, great putt. It's easier for whatever reason. I don't know if that's just because people are used to it like, or, or more accustomed to it. It, it kind of seems like disc golf's almost in the darts like cornhole, right? Like cornhole, I'm expecting people to throw it into the hole. Yeah. So like when someone yeah. does that, I'm not like, oh my gosh, that's incredible darts. I'm expecting pros to hit triple 20. So when they do that, I'm not shocked either. Bowling, same thing with bowling. If someone got a strike in bowling, that was a good bowler. I wouldn't be sh- not shocked. I wouldn't be shocked, but I just think disc golf for whatever reason, it isn't there. I, I think the distance off like in-person distance, I think that is the shock fact- factor. Um, oh, definitely. Because you definitely get that too when you're playing through people at your local course and you throw a huge mm-hmm. hyzer or something, a line that they've never tried or ever seen on a local course. They'll be like, oh my gosh. So 
that exists the same, I think, in golf where if you smash a drive off the tee. But when it comes to like actually getting the disc in the basket, that's something that, again, I just don't think people think is as hard as it is, if that makes sense. Like throwing a shot in from 150 feet is very difficult. But when you do it, people aren't really like, oh, like you're, that's what you're supposed to do. So I don't yeah, know. I, how, I, I don't know how you beat that. I don't know how you beat that. That's I, don't, I don't know if you can because it's it's similar. Yeah. Cornhole is a great example because like I think it's a it's a it seems achievable for your average person. Yes. is what it ends up being because like throwing a frisbee on the beach, it's, it's pretty simple. Like to throw Correct. it. There's a lot of people that are good at throwing a frisbee 40, 50 feet and hitting the person standing there. Mm-hmm. We know as disc golfers that is not the same as putting. No. But it has the same feel. So, like, especially like you, for instance, doing trick shots all the time. Mm-hmm. Then when you hit a scuba or you make a long putt, viewers who watch you do trick shots have never played disc golf and watch you play disc golf. It's like, yeah, of course Brody's going to do that. I'm surprised when Brody doesn't do that mm-hmm. because it's not the same thing. You know what I mean? But it obviously also the trick shots take a long time to hit, even though on camera it might not look that way. But it just conveys this, like, level of easiness. Um, and cornhole is a similar thing of like, if you are a somewhat coordinated person and you play cornhole, you're going to be able to make one here and there. So when you see a pro play cornhole, of course, I'm expecting that pro to be dialed and they are. And what's impressive about cornhole is like the placement they end up. But if you just watch cornhole and the guy like was barely getting on the board, mm-hmm. they'd be like, what the heck's this guy doing? He's awful. When cornhole, they have a lot more going on. And, you know, that might be even there farther than we normally play cornhole. I think they are and stuff like that. But it's really hard to convey that difficulty when you relate it much like we relate to throwing Frisbees on the on the beach. These are the two things. These are two things real quick, size that I think Mm -hmm. one, I think there's just so many people that haven't played disc golf that they are going like you said, Hunter, exactly like they're going to have that idea of like, oh, throwing a Frisbee isn't hard. And then two, I got sucked in this trap too of where I'm playing my local courses and I'm thinking I'm all that in a bag of chips. And then I go and I start playing pro tour level courses that add OB, that add hazards, that add length. And it's a whole different ball game. And so I think for one, the person that's never played disc golf before and just looks at it similar to cornhole and thinks like that looks super easy. But then you also have the disc golfers that might play casually at their local pitch and putt. And so they just assume that is kind of the same style of courses across the way. And they don't have a new London in their area to where, if you want to get humbled, you go. You can go to New London and get humbled and be like, okay, I thought I was good at disc golf, but I'm really not. And mm-hmm. I think that's really tough because there are very few courses like that, just even in the United States. So there's a chance that you have a lot of disc golfers that play casually and they're only playing on very easy courses and they don't really yeah. understand like how disc golf is well, played on a, a, a more challenging course. Because that's true in golf as well, but it's a different scale. Because in, in golf, any course you should, like the tour courses are going to be harder, way harder. But a rando is not going to show up to Poplar Forest even, which is a very easy and course. And like par. I tried for, I tried for over a month. I still haven't broke a hundred. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So and that's shooting twenty eight over. 
So a, a rando is going to be able to show up at Peaksview Park, though, and get to shooting even par if they tried as hard as they could for a month. And then they look at a tour course, and they're like, these guys are only shooting 10 under. That's where That's it's easy. like we're not cornhole in the fact of, like, like I'm just trying to think to myself, like, how much better could I get at cornhole from right, right now? I, haven't th- I mean, I haven't played cornhole in who knows how long, right? My mm-hmm. skill level of getting better in cornhole from where I am right now is probably so small, right? Like, yeah. Sure, I can get better with practice, but not that much better. Disc golf, I think we're kind of in that in between cornhole and golf, right? Because like golf, like you said, if you suck at golf, you can be really bad. And then with practice and stuff, you can get a lot better. Disc golf, I think we're kind of in between those two. We're not golf. We're not cornhole. We're kind of in the middle of where like a casual can come out to a disc golf course, never play before and still probably shoot close to even par on like a pitch and putt and think mm-hmm. like, Oh, this game's like mini golf. It, it, we're like mini golf. We're disc golf is very much like mini golf on the local course scene. Like if, if yes. you go to local course scene, it's like mini golf. And, um, the only way to get away from that is literally if local courses, and this is not going to happen, obviously, but if local courses, basically what tournaments do when they come to a local course is they flood it with OB. And now all of a sudden that course becomes a lot more challenging. So, um, yeah. All right. I don't, Sias, did you have something that you, you were going to say something? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I think the most impressive thing you can do in disc golf is just like throw really far. Yes. And that would impress someone who knows nothing about And the golf. control of a disc. Yeah. Like watching a disc flip up and ride. Yeah. No no beginner can get that a disc to do that. Right. But I think the key well, is unless you have a meteor. Having that Yes, or a soul. Uh but the key <laughs> is having that player have at least thrown a disc before. Yeah. That's a key. Yeah. Because if I've never thrown a disc before and I watch someone, it's very easy for me to be like, Oh well, I could get I could do that. Yeah. Because it doesn't by nature, unless someone's throwing 450 plus, like if you go, the first time I take people out, I take them to Peaksview. Without fail, what I do at Peaksview does not look impressive to them because why would it? All it looks like is that, like I, it looks like I took them to putt putt and have the course memorized. Like mm-hmm. of course I know how to get the disc to be that close. It doesn't seem very impressive to them. They're impressed that I'm throwing it twice as far as them, but what they don't realize is I can throw it four times as far as them. There's just no need to at Peaksview. Yeah. So then if I were to take a beginner to New London, A, they would never play disc golf again, but <laughs> then they would have the same like understanding like if I went and had – like if we took Connor, who's never really played golf, because I, when I started playing golf this time around, I had at least played before, so I had somewhat of understanding. But we took Connor or Silas, who had never played golf, and their first experience with golf, because is what happens in disc golf, you don't go to driving range, you don't go to the putting green, you just show up and you're playing right next to Brody in golf, what Brody does is going to be way more impressive because what the course asks is way more. Yeah. That's a similar feeling to you the first time someone plays disc golf. You go to a new London. You go to somewhere like that to where it's like, oh, my gosh, Brody's, like, hitting, like, a drive. Brody will hit, like, 300 yards. And you're like, I'm lucky if I can even hit the ball. And it's a similar <laughs> thing of, like, I'm lucky if I can throw this disc 50 feet and not hit a tree. And Brody's 450 feet down there, and he threw – a straight shot how do you do that the when you take people to play disc golf you take them to putt-putt first because mm-hmm. like if you go to putt-putt you're not impressed with what brody does at putt-putt it's like yeah. Well, yeah but i mean also, i was close doing it also yeah. too another thing is i i think 
there isn't enough gap between like putters, mids, fairway drivers, drivers, right? We only have, we have four different classifications of discs. And like I just did a video of trying to attempt to throw a putter 500 feet. Like, yeah. Now, obviously, I'm not throwing like a stock putter shot, but the fact that I can get a putter close to 500 feet, a mid close to 500 feet, a fairway just over 500, and a, a, like there's not a big enough gap there to where there is a little of where if you you know we get to a hole and you're like I'm throwing a distance driver and I'm I'm like well I'm just gonna throw a putter. There's a little bit of like being like oh wow you're throwing a putter on this hole, but it's a lot more if we were playing golf and you're like I'm hitting a four iron on this part three and i'm like really i'm going pitching wedge like that right there is like everyone can kind of get an idea of like holy cow this guy hits the ball so much farther than me he's hitting a wedge i'm hitting a a long iron so i think that also helps with what you were saying too with going to like a mini golf thing you're not really showcasing that that skill of being able to hit the ball far and accurately same thing with going to a pitch and putt you're not really being able to showcase that skill of um because no one really cares if you're throwing a, if they're throwing a driver on a 300 foot hole and you're throwing a putter, I don't think that is something that correlates with like newer disc golfers. Like, Oh my gosh, wow. You're throwing a putter. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's not as big of a gap. So it's definitely, I think it's one of the biggest hurdles disc golf has. It's a huge hurdle. I think it's a huge hurdle. Like, and I don't really know if there's a great solution because the, uh, the other problem, too, is people aren't introduced to disc golf by watching it first. People are introduced to disc golf by going and playing, playing a local it. course first, yeah. more, more likely than not. Whereas any other sport other than, like, cornhole, dart, stuff like that, that's not the case. You're introduced to golf a lot of times by watching. Like, I'd be shocked if someone who is going out to play golf has never watched at least a clip of Tiger Woods hitting a golf ball. But at a disc golf course, it's not going to shock me if they're like, I've never seen a pro throw a disc. There's also there's also something too. I think there's probably other sports like this, like other niche sports, like skateboarding, mm-hmm. maybe surfing, running. Oh, but maybe maybe I'm just trying to think. There, you know, some of these sports like football, baseball, basketball, basketball maybe not so much, but football and baseball for sure. People watch these games but they don't play Mm -hmm. and our sport is very much more in the playing realm and same thing kind of with golf i would there's probably not that many people that are watching golf tournaments and don't play golf yeah right and so we're in that realm of we are like you're saying people get introduced to the sport by playing it and then watching it and not so much by watching it and like just being like, oh my god, this looks incredible. And if they do think it looks incredible, then they're probably going to go out and play it. So yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if it's. I don't even know if necessarily that is a good thing or a bad thing. But I do think you probably reach a much smaller audience, right? Like we're not having. I don't think anyone's tuning into disc golf that doesn't play because they find it entertaining. Very very small percentage. Yeah, I've seen some comments like on our YouTube videos and stuff but it's a very small percentage. And a lot of them are like what you said, like, Oh, this, I stumbled on this. This looks fun. I got to play. Yeah. It seems to me, it's like one of those that once, you know, I'll give an example of my, of my viewing. Like I used to really be into triathlons. And so I used to bike all the time. And at that time, like 
the Tour de France was huge. I loved watching it. And I couldn't tell you the last time. And I still bike on the, my Peloton and stuff, but I just couldn't tell you the last time I watched the Tour de France. And I think like certain sports like that, and I think disc golf falls into that of where it's like when you're in it and you're playing it, you're going to tune in and watch. But as soon as you like have other stuff going on, it kind of falls to the wayside of where yeah. I'm never going to let college football fall to the wayside. Like I'm never not going to watch the, the national championship. I'm never going to not watch the Super Bowl. There's certain sporting events that I'm always going to tune in to watch, regardless of whether I'm a hundred percent in and I'm playing fantasy football and I'm watching every week. Um, but it's an interesting one. And I, and like I said, I don't know if that's something that we could ever break through because at the same token, like cornhole, when I was watching cornhole yesterday, I was like, yeah, this is interesting for a few minutes, but after that, I was like, I'm okay. I'm bored. Like I'm, I'm out of it. And I wonder if some people think the same way with disc golf, whether they play or, or don't of if they watch it, if they're like, okay, I'm, this is kind of boring. I, I'm going to go and play myself. Right. And, well, I think and that kind of hurts viewership. Too. No, it definitely does. It's similar to golf. I think golf has a very similar problem because like I watching golf, I would, some years I'd watch like the masters or the U S open or random tournaments would, I'd be on TV, nothing else seemed to be on. And I'd stumble on mm -hmm. watching it. Or if tiger was in contention, yep. I'd watch it. That was it. That got me to watch golf. But in watching golf back then, I didn't have any understanding of how they're shaping shots, the spin, the control they have. Once I played a little bit of golf and then realized, wait a second, when my ball hits the green, it's rolling off the green. It's not backspinning and staying and rolling backwards. Like, that's not something that just happens. That's how you have to hit a certain way. It gave me a different appreciation to where when I watch golf now, I'm way more impressed and enthralled by it. Similar thing to soccer for me. If you understand all the movements of soccer, soccer doesn't seem like a slow game. If you don't, soccer can suck. I think that's how disc golf kind of lives. Is like, once you play and you have a certain knowledge it becomes way more impressive to see what people are doing with discs. It becomes way more impressive to see the Heiser flip, the turnover, because you know how hard it is to accomplish some of those things. Whereas if you're just a casual viewer or a casual player, you might enjoy it, but it can still become boring, just like golf becomes boring, because you don't have enough knowledge to have an appreciation for what the person's doing. I, th I think you're right. And I think, too, though, when I'm thinking of like what you just said with soccer, like did it doesn't like every kid play soccer like don't we all at one point of our lives play soccer like that's one of the sports that yeah. you just kind of get thrown into and you play one or two years and i think that actually does have a little bit because like when you're 40 you're not your most 40 year olds are probably not in some sort of soccer league right but yeah. they're still paying attention to soccer and watching soccer and i wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that they grew up playing it and well, a lot of it's community, I think, because like college having football, teams to root for and stuff. The only, yeah, well, also the only reason I'll care about college football or the NFL or even NBA basketball, college basketball, I care about because I just thoroughly enjoy college basketball. I, well, I played basketball my whole life, so I'm I'm one of the like player fans. Yeah, of every other sport, I'm not, but I know when I show up to work, Trevor's gonna have watched the game. Or if we're texting, you're going to have watched the game to where like my friends have watched the game and like everyone has friends that have watched these games. So like if Alabama plays on the weekend and I don't catch it, 
I'm going to be left out of conversations the next week at school or at work or whatever to where there's a community aspect that even if that's not a driving factor, like when I turn on a college football game on the weekend, that's not what I'm thinking of. I'm not sitting there and being like, I better watch this or I'm not going to have anything to talk to my friends about. But there's this like driving motivator behind it to where when I go on social media and I see the whole social media world reacting, you feel left out. I think that's another thing that happens that's a similar reason why when tiger was in contention you watch because well, if i didn't watch i'm be i'm not be in the know well the next isn't day. isn't that one of the big reasons that like we're always on live disc golf needs to be the forefront because you need yeah. to have people talking about it live you need to have no one no one is watching jomez at home and then coming on twitter and talking about it and i think i don't know how many people i i'm not sure how you and trevor would have a better idea of like have you seen an uptick in social posts because i know obviously the disc golf pro tour has done a really good job this year of posting stuff on twitter instagram and and facebook during tournaments but i think to get like the next jump right is like what you were just saying is like having more people talking about it when it's going on live to where people are thinking like, Oh, am I missing out on something? And I think like UFC is kind of making its way. Their, their path has been really interesting. It'd be so interesting to sit down and talk to some of these people too, because I mean, MMA fighting was not something that was in mainstream media at all. And it's still very, very small in mainstream media. But I think what you were just talking about, like the community part is like when there is a big UFC fight, a lot of people are talking about the next day. And if you didn't watch the fight, you're going to feel like you missed out. Um, so that's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, did, I think we've definitely made strides in that direction because perfect example, when Nico, back at the European yeah, Open... that was huge. He got trending on Twitter immediately, which means there's that many people watching live or at least started talking about it. Um, and you know, Trevor and I tweet pretty frequently during live disc golf and our engagement on Twitter has gone way up, uh, during live disc golf versus a year ago, a lot more people are tuning in and a lot more people feel a part of it. And I think once people do it once and like, not just sit at home and watch live and I'm not talking, but like sit at home, watch live, hop in our discord, live tournament chat, hop on Twitter and like you feel the community and like when Paul hit that putt on 17 mm-hmm. you're not sitting in your room you know living room by yourself yeah, and your wife's like why are you yelling nuts on it yeah everyone's freaking out then you feel like you were just a part of it uh and I think that's what to me at least that's one of the biggest drawing factors to sports in general is like it gives you it gives you different communities like when the national championship happens in basketball you know when you walk into school the next day in high school like, you know, all your friends are talking about it. So, you know, when you roll in and you're a Duke fan and we just won the national championship in 2015 and you roll in wearing a Duke hoodie, like, you, you know, you're not just like, I'm not rolling in wearing an Innova hoodie. And people are like, what the heck's that? And I'm like, oh, dude, Ricky just did whatever for Innova. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, sick. Like, you walk in with a Duke hoodie and the UNC fans are like, shut Everyone up, dude, knows. don't talk to me. Yeah. yeah. Or you get people weren't like, I had multiple people hang UNC or UVA jerseys in my locker because they just lost, like Duke would just lose to them and stuff. Yeah. I wasn't, you weren't walking in and well, I think there's a buzz is, with a knife through it in your locker. I think, I think that is the one thing that is the most difficult. Well, it, it, it's a challenging thing for individual sports, right? Because you don't have yes. that team aspect, you know, you, you, you have to, and that's where you have to build players have to build, a reason for people to watch 
players have to build a reason for um, people to care. And a lot of that too has to go into what the pro tour is doing, right? Like the pro tour needs to get to the point of where they are bigger than everyone that is playing, right? They, they don't want to mm-hmm. have a situation of where, you know, one player, you know, you look at the PJ tour and live, you know, they have some big names leaving to go play on the live tour, but the PJ tour is like, we're still fine. We're still, we still are the tour that you, you know, people want to tune in and to watch. And I think too, like the P I don't want to keep comparing it to golf, but UFC, whatever individual sport, whatever. I think the organization, I think part of their job is not obviously just holding the tournaments, but also trying to find ways to build the audience into caring about tuning in to watch people. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think the UFC's done that a lot with the press conferences before and like clips of that leading up to the fight, like the pre fight promotions is what gets me in. And then also you have some people like Nate Diaz. I was very close to paying to watch, even though I had no one to watch it with this Saturday, mm-hmm. mainly because I wasn't going to take my, month and a half old out at 10 o'clock at night on saturday to go watch it with friends but i was very close to still paying because i'm like nate diaz is fighting like there's some like conor mcgregor i'm not going to miss a conor mcgregor fight but it's because a lot of the pre-fight promo or nate diaz you've just seen clips of him being psychotic and like still going at a guy even though he looks he literally looks like he's dead in the ring stuff like that i think is what disc golf's missing slightly is like we're almost scared of the off course stuff to a certain extent yeah. Where well, I don't think it's necessarily getting into like personal life drama, but being okay with some people embracing the you're either with me or against me. Like it, it, it like the Conor McGregor probably has well, just as many haters is, as he has fans, but they're but, all paying to watch. Yeah, but the problem with that, Hunter, is like what we've talked about before. It's like the way that everything is set up right now, it is a popularity contest. It is mm, yeah. disc golf right now haters. is a popularity contest. You have to do whatever you can to make everyone like you and you can't be your real self. You can't say something because you know you're going to offend these people and then they're not going to buy. Like that's the problem is there's not enough money in the purses to where you can basically just say like what I would call F you money, right? Of where yeah. it doesn't matter what I do. I can have everyone hate me, but guess what? I'm making so much money winning these tournaments or getting in these top tens that I have this money that doesn't bother me. And, um, obviously sponsorship money and all that stuff is nice, but a lot of the sponsorship money is going to go to players that those companies feel like they can have influence on people, uh, you know, have influence on people to, to purchase things. Right. And, you know, I think that's where it's tricky is the sponsorship money. Cause obviously like Bryson, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Hamzat Shamayev who fought in this last card. Uh, those are just two people off the top of my head on like individual sports. I don't know that much about other individual sports guys. So I'm sorry. I'm not bringing up skateboarding or surfing or running. I don't know them as well. Uh, or I would, but there are individual sports that have players, pros in them that aren't necessarily notoriously liked by everyone, right? And um, they Who's are. Who's that s- tennis guy recently? Oh, uh, uh, Kragos. 
Kriegos. Yeah. Yes. He's yeah, a good something like that. He's another good example, yes, of where there's they make enough buzz so you're still going to have sponsors want to sponsor them because they have enough buzz, but they don't all have they, they also have people tuning in to watch them fail. Right. And I felt, yes. I felt that a lot when I was, when I probably still feel that actually, honestly now, but there's probably a lot of people that go on UDISC and scroll down to see that I'm four over par on my round and be like, yes. Right. Which is a good thing in sports. You want to have people rooting for you and people rooting against you. Um, but I think the problem with disc golf, and we've talked about this before, the problem with disc golf is the popularity contest. And I think right now, I think that's why some people might get bored with these press conferences. Some people might get bored with certain players because they're putting on an act because they have to. They have to put on an act to try to make you like them. And me personally, I, I can see through acts really quickly when when you when you're talking to someone and they're like literally just like talking to you to try to make you like them. I hate that so much more than if someone was just real to me. And I don't know if we'll ever get to that in disc golf. I think if we do, it'd be very fascinating, very exciting. I think for most people, cause then people will come out of their shell a little bit and you still will have some people. Like, there are people on the PJ tour that are super quiet and to themselves and reserved. And I'm not saying everyone has to be crazy, but there is this notion of like everyone's buddy, buddy, everyone doesn't want to offend anyone. Everyone wants to be nice to one another, which again, I'm not saying people need to hate each other, but at the same time, there are some people where it's like, I'm not a big fan of you, man. Like I just don't, I don't get along with you and that's completely fine. And to think that you can go out in the street right now. And I mean, just think about, think about school. If you're watching this right now and you're thinking Brody's an idiot, go back to high school. Were you friends with everyone in your class in high school? Or were there some people that you're just like, I don't like that guy. Not a, yeah. I don't hate him. I'm not wishing the, the bad things to happen to him, but I'm not, I don't like that guy. And just don't get along. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And to think that everyone on tour is going to be buddy, buddy friends and all, it's just not, it's not real. So, well, if you think sports in general, that's like, as a player, is like a basketball player in high school, there's a school Westover. They were our rivals. Still to this day, if I went and watched a Westover game, my blood boils looking at their colors. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you a single player on their team. I had no reason to hate them. They were just our school rivals. So when you showed up, all you wanted to do was beat them. And when I watched other schools play them, all I wanted to do was see them fail. It's the exact same way I feel towards UNC. Tyler Hansborough, great guy. Hate his guts. You know, whatever the last point guard, Trevor. Hey, he Joel said you cameo, so be nice. Frick that guy. Yeah, <laughs> Joel Berry can't stand him either. I'm sure he's the nicest guy on earth, but he played for UNC, so he's my mortal enemy. But even outside of that's that, just though, like. But even outside of that, well, I'm like, saying like that, it creates stuff where I'm rooting against them for no nothing against them. I'm just a Duke fan. But so I'm also be like, talking in disc golf. It's tough because like that would be, I guess, the closest thing. Be like, if I'm a Paul fan, I'm rooting against Ricky in previous years but now there's so much parody that's just not really true but i'm even talking more like on the team aspect too like if you've played team sports there were multiple people on that team where you're like i would oh, never yeah. never be friends with this person but we have one common goal we're on this team we're trying to accomplish that and i've i've played yeah. i've played on a couple because obviously my my uh 
what is it called? Your not legacy. What's the word called? Your when someone's like your blah blah comes before you. Like where you walk into a room and people already have this idea of who you are because of your past. You're like uh, you reputation. Know, yeah, your 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 reputation besets you. Is that the quote? Is yeah. that the is yeah. that what it is? Something like that. Um, Reputation is the word. The <laughs> next word I don't remember. Yeah. So there's there was teams after college that I came in and played on and it didn't matter who i was as a person on the on the field or off the field i wasn't going to change their mind on whether they liked me or not right because of just all the stuff i had done in college and that's completely fair and that's fine but we were still able to kind of push that aside and be like hey we're still teammates on this field let's get the job done and I think that's completely fine. But like, if you're, I'm just saying like, if that's happening on teams, that happens all the time in NFL locker rooms. That happens all the time in NBA locker rooms where teammates don't necessarily get along, but they can put that aside and still go out there and try to win a championship. I just think with how disc golf is currently set up with the whole money situation and everything, you are, I mean, again, financially, d- did it make sense for me to go against Paul Macbeth from a financial standpoint? Probably not. Did no. I lose hundreds and hundreds of fans? Probably. Do I have people that will never buy a single disc of mine ever again? Sure. But like, I made that decision of like, this is someone that I don't want to continue being friends with. And this is going to be better for me in the long run. Financially, yeah, sure. Did I take a hit? By all means, but like I made that decision. And I think right now there's a lot of people that aren't in a position to make that decision, right? Like they aren't financially able to be like, hey, I'm just gonna go out and say whatever I want. And if no one buys my tour series disc next year, who cares? Like that yeah. would that would take them off tour. And so I'm not like it's a tough spot, man. It's a really, really tough spot. And like I said, I don't think that changes. I don't even know how we got on this topic, but I don't think that changes. I don't don't think that changes until the, 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 uh, the purses go up and I just played a B tier. Uh, I did not play well, but I just played a B tier in Dallas and the winner took $900 home. Like there's there, the gap is like not that big between a pro tour. Would the winner take home at Butler? Silas, can you look that up? Why we're talking? Joel Freeman took home 2,200, I believe. 2200 it was in the 2000s yes so like that to me like get the real number that that's crazy to me like right like that's that's just that's just where disc golf unfortunately is at the moment it's it's 2200 dollars. we just looked it up that's just yeah Yeah, 2200 that's just that's wild that's wild that someone was able just to roll out of bed and play for two days and make 900 dollars at these two pitch and putt courses in dallas and yeah you know, Joel Freeman had to travel, had to stay either in his van or hotel or whatever he had to do, play against a bunch of tough players. And yeah, so, all right, enough with that. I, uh, do we have anything else? I got some, I got some topics here on Twitter from people that we can talk about. Uh, I had a cool thing I saw. I don't think it's really going to be a talking point, but more to make people aware. Okay, of it, yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Uh, this YouTuber, um, I don't know what he typically does. I, this is the first video I've ever seen of him. Uh, he took a disc golf throw and ran it through a simulation. He just basically had the simulation that had a peg, I guess you could say, 
and then an arm structure and he told the simulation to essentially the goal was to throw this circular frisbee as fast as it could and so then it ran simulations just twitching throwing to see the fastest way to throw a disc and then the the result yes okay the result was very similar to how we throw backhands but it was a pretty cool video because there's a few like key differences that the question was basically like is this just computer error or is this what we should be doing one of the keys was instead of reaching straight back the computer wanted to reach around behind itself well yeah and then come that's around to generate a lot more power that's not surprising um, you look at you look obviously at obviously that they, gets you offline though but yeah you look at um uh you look at whatchamacallit uh what's what's that sport the this one discus yes you look at discus they're not they're not reaching straight back to launch it off they're reaching that thing way behind their body but yeah. to them they're not you know they're not really trying to hit a tar i mean obviously they still have to throw it inbounds in a way but yeah um and the easiest way of seeing this too is uh the, the smaller players on tour which you know it's easy to kind of look at some of the fpo players that throw really far a lot of them round right a lot of mm. them round in the sense they put the disc behind them and they torque it through and yeah that 100 percent allows you to get way more power but it yeah. also decreases your accuracy but the, that um, would be a cool the, thing for people to do for um distance contests which i think yeah, you're trying to reach behind i think you're signing up for a distance contest coming possibly up i don't know it's on it's on the monday <laughs> it's the only problem so we have to come down earlier because like we were thinking of possibly just driving in final day like going going down there four hours in the okay. morning watching it and driving home so we don't have to like go overnight and stuff but this would be like the monday <laughs> so it'd be tough because then like we're gonna be down there and we'd have to come home and go back to monday know. qualify i guess we could hit two birds one stone on monday <laughs> that'd be funny i don't know we're gonna look into it for usdc how, how do you feel um, what are they what are, what are they considering you if you won the united states distance champion is that what it, yeah how do we feel about just like anyone being able to sign up for that for 50 bucks? When I win, I'm going to feel great about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I don't think it makes sense. Is that on the same level well, of know, like though. is that on the same level of like anyone can sign up and be a professional disc golfer as long as they just pay a certain amount of money? Is that yeah, the same kind I mean, of level? It's definitely a like money play for Innova cuz like Garrett Gurthy or someone's going to win. But like I think you, David Wiggins bottom is dollar. Win. I think David, David Wiggins, Wiggins gonna, might win. Someone yeah. Someone like that's going to win. Some rando off the street's not going to win, but you know probably 150, 200 people are going to pay five, 50 bucks to try. You could, moving forward, you should definitely say like, oh man, I was a, back in my heyday, I was a 2022 US distance qualifier. Thrower, yeah. No, qualifier. You say there you, you qualify for the 2022 US distance competition. <laughs> But I'll just pay the 50 so I can say it either way. I yeah, can be like, exactly. yeah, injury kept me from going, though. You know, I could have had that title. But, you know, my shoulder was just messed up the uh, week before. I saw that. Uh, the next thing. I saw that, and I was like, man, they're probably going to make a lot of money off of that. But I just don't know how I feel about people just being able to yeah. pay 50 bucks. to. The next thing the simulation did that I thought was interesting was when it went to release the disc, it kept its, like, torso part of it. Um, when it got to the point it was about to release, stopped okay. all rotation for a second. So it got to the point of like where it's about to throw and the torso completely stopped. So all the power went to the disc and then it continued on it. 
We did. Me and Ezra had a talk about this for a long time outside of a Mexican restaurant in Emporia, <laughs> Kansas. Um, and that might be onto something because if you look at really, really the big, big distance throwers, their elbow ends up getting in front of their body. And that <laughs> has to do with, I don't know how you do this. Like, I don't, maybe I do it without noticing or like maybe sometimes I do it or I don't know how you train yourself to do that. But there is this thing of where like you turn and then you stop turning but you keep pulling through with your arm. So now your elbow's out here and then you finish turning. And there's something to that of like getting, I don't know if you can see on camera, but something to like, instead of going here and then continue to turn like that, going here and then going there and now your elbow's out in front and then you can, I don't know, but that is so funny. Not funny, but that's very interesting that that's what that came because we literally had a conversation about this. Yeah, and, and the final thing that I think might help you with the understanding of how it did it was it also had its off arm. And so to start the throw, its off arm did what everyone knows and like came in like everyone does. But then when it got to the release part and its upper body stopped, I think to cause the momentum, it threw its off arm back. Which, if you think of Garrett Gerthy, he does that. When he releases, his back arm goes back behind him to, like, counter his momentum. But that was the other thing that was, like, different than now, you typically now watching, see. Now I'm watching videos of me throw to see. Basically, the left arm would come through, and then its last motion as it's releasing was it going back for some reason. Yeah, mine goes backwards. Yeah. So that, those are like the, Not the like key drastically. things. It goes down no, and then it just like, like pop. pops back. It just like kind of pops mm -hmm. back. Yeah, it kind of, and that helped cause the last like snap, just the last transfer of motion all the way out. It was a very interesting video because it was the first time I'd seen like. Yeah, because you can see here. Let me zoom in here. <laughs> this is going to be great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it goes back. It pops backwards. Yeah. All right. This, this machine was the first knows time what's up, seen... man. This machine knows what's up. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. It's like, this is the first time I had seen, we've obviously tested it. Like humans have thrown and been like, oh, this is the best way to throw. But this is the first time we've like put it, I've seen that we've had like science figure it out and be like validated in a lot of what we're doing. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, what's so wild is like when I came to disc golf, that was the first time ever in my like frisbee throwing career that i thought about form first mm, time ever really it's not a thing that you, t you you think about like even even when uh even when it comes to like some of the best teams in the world i've played on and ultimate like when we do practices and stuff there isn't this talk about like hey man you're doing this with your blah blah you could throw it further here be more accurate here it's like whatever throwing style you have and however good you are at throwing like that's just what you are at that point and we're, it's more about conditioning and like strategy and like plays and like working on that is stuff is that is that because there's only there's like a cap to how much distance you need in ultimate no i mean i think I mean, watching, I didn't really care. Like, it's very, like, I did teach form and stuff at the University of Florida, like, how to throw a forehand to, like, the teammates to, like, help them along. But for whatever reason, when you go to, like, a club team, which is, like, after college, 
Like there was none of that. You, I, I just didn't feel comfortable at all trying to come up to tell someone like, Hey man, you're throwing your forehand like this. You'd be able to get more power or you'd be able to get more touch or whatever, throwing it this way. Like that was just something that was just never discussed, never a part of like the training program. Um, and like, obviously like too, like I probably could have pulled way further in ultimate, like I had a pretty good pull in, you know, obviously back when I was young and spry mm-hmm. and my knees were good, I could throw pretty far, but I, ne- I still like my front foot was still open, like way open. Yeah. And I'm not a hundred, like it needs to be like backwards or whatever, but I do think if it's a little close to parallel, you're going to be able to generate more and get more of a brace. So like, yeah, for me, I think it definitely would have helped with my poles. Uh, for the back end at least, but it was, it was just, uh, it's an interesting thing. Like people talk about form so much in disc golf and then it's just never discussed in ultimate. And you actually throw obviously individually, like each individual throws less, but there's way more throws in a game of ultimate than there is in a round of disc golf. Yeah. So fascinating. Um, All right. You said Twitter has some topics. Yeah. I asked Twitter, I said, give us some topics. For those that don't know, I'm still in Dallas. We're not going to really talk about GMC too much because I'm not up there yet. But I will say the courses, I'm very excited to play them. Uh, I've been... Is this one of the most hyped up course? This might be close to one of the most hyped courses. This or Maple Hill, I feel like. Yeah, these next two tournaments, yeah. It's going to be interesting too because these are both like um, limited fields. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I saw there were some people that got in that are not qualified. I'm wondering if they like put pacers in the field maybe or something. No, there I don't was know qualifiers. There were qualifiers. So those there were are, qualifying events. Those were the people that probably qualified on Monday. Uh, okay. No, not makes events. A lot more sense. Oh, I guess Just events. like a Monday qualifying. Yes. Yes. So gotcha. there's, there's 92 people currently right now in GMC. Maple Hill has 56. Yeah. It was top 100 and then top 80, but the, the tiered registration is probably still happening for Maple Hill. And you can see the people that qualified for uh, Maple Hill versus the pe- people that just... I'm oh, sorry. You can see the people that have qualified because of points versus the people that have qualified just through like a turn, uh, through like a, the qualifier or something because like you have one, two, three... You have three people that are like 980 or below rated. That's so what I saw, yeah. Those people probably got in for, for something. but um, So we're not going to talk too much about GMC. We will obviously talk all about it next week and talk a lot about Maple Hill because we will. I would already have played Maple Hill next week because we're going to go straight from GMC on Sunday to um, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Is that where Maple Hill is? Somewhere in there. Somewhere yeah. in that round. I think it's like an um, hour, hour and a half out from Boston. But we'll, we'll crush been, but. We'll crush through some of these, and uh, and then we'll end the show. So, first one is: Will uh, will anybody ever achieve a grand slam in disc golf again, winning all majors in a season? Most so, likely, no. Do we know what the situation with the European Open is? Is that like going to be an every year thing or every two years? Do we, we're not sure what's going every on. Every two years is what it's always been. I'll be very disappointed if it stays that way. Because that'd be it'd be weird to have let's three assume, year ma- three three majors a year and then four the next year. Let's assume it's every year. So that's okay. gonna be every year. Let's assume Champions Cup is gonna be every year, 
And I yes. guess we're assuming that's going to be a W.R. Jackson every year now? Yep, looks like it. Okay, and then let's assume Worlds obviously is going to be every year. They don't seem to have any interest in changing that. And then USDGC is every year, but that course is probably going to eventually change. Yes. Um, I think someone that is competitive at European Open and at USDGC, those are two very similar layouts, in my opinion. So Champions Cup, though, is a whole different ballgame. And then Worlds, obviously, who knows? Um, so I think that already limits who could do it because it's not – because Champions Cup is going to be at that wooded course, it kind of eliminates, like, the guys that are just bombers and are really accurate on their hyzers because Champions Cup, that's not going to really – bode well for those people so i think that already eliminates the field to like only a handful of people that could possibly do it and with the fact that the field is getting deeper and deeper and deeper and more people are traveling um you know we've been talking about joel freeman being top caliber for a while i know you guys have talked about it on grip locked and stuff um And I've, I've known for a while he's a top 10 player. I don't think he gets talked about that much. But, like, obviously this last weekend you could see, like, he probably – that probably was the best round. If you want – if you are into the whole, like, best round of disc golf this year, that probably was the best round of disc golf. That or Paul's 16 under at W.R. Jackson. That one, too, is probably up there. And maybe yeah. maybe Paul and Eagles rounds at uh, European, European Open. Open. Those are yeah. probably all kind of in the mix. Um, so, yeah, I mean, wh- what would the odds be to say, like, someone would win all four? Like, it's got to be ridiculous odds. Like, it's got to be so high. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it'll happen. I th- like. Is it possible? Obviously, it's possible because you know the good. Yeah, a good player possible. could win anytime they show up, but likelihood is very, very low. I think if you ask this it was, question, it was very high. low. What did you say? It was very low when it happened in 2015. I was going to say. I was literally just going to say if you asked this question like five years ago, I think I think we're at least like kind of thinking about it a little bit more. But, yeah. But even then, it's still really hard to win. Yeah, because 2015, I mean, Paul didn't finish outside the top three, which is impressive then. But do you do that now? It's even more impressive. And then one, there was five majors that year and won all five. That was back then unfathomable. Now it's even more unfathomable. Like, I just don't, I don't see it happening again. Yeah, and I still think this past Worlds, like if Eagle was healthy with his forehand, I think, I mean, it's easy to say this, but I think he would have been more in the mix more in the mix but who knows injuries are going to happen so but you you have what chris dickerson taking down uh champions cup you have eagle taking down european open paul took down worlds you know i could you know we're not even thinking of you know what i'm gonna say it's going to happen fpo kristen tatar boom Could definitely happen. Yeah. yeah. FPL, she we has didn't another. Think about that. We didn't even think about that. I think she has that. another two to three years that she could do it. And then the field will start to catch up. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right in that. Yeah. She, she's right now in that sweet spot of where she's just above and beyond everyone. So yeah. if she just plays. It's more surprising for her to lose than when she wins. Yeah. She doesn't even have to. She's in that spot where she doesn't even have to play good to win. Which, yeah. She can, have, she can have a bad round and still win. Which is a great spot to be in. 
great spot. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so this person's talking about this course that's going into Florence, Alabama. It's okay. designed by LaVon Wolf. Do you know that designer? Okay. The, he's the founder of uh, Quickstick, I oh, believe. Okay. Um, he's one, he, he wants to know what will attract pros. And he's asking, is it mostly payouts? So I'm assuming if you're if you're if you're going to have an A tier event, right? It's not going to be on tour, and you're trying to get top level pros to come. What is the thing that's going to attract them the most? Is it the course? Is it I the payout? The is it the coverage? Coverage. I think it's a sweet spot. One, the biggest first one, if you're trying to get top level pros, is finding the time and the schedule, because you can have everything else line up, and if there's a silver series, that's a different direction not going to matter or if there's a pro tour that weekend not going to matter so i think the first crucial one is finding this finding the gap in the schedule and then you have to have a great one of at least one of them whether it be the course the coverage or the money but all of them have to be solid because like if the money's good enough the coverage doesn't have to exist but if then the course would still be good if the course sucks but there's jomez covering it and the winner's taking home five grand you can overlook the course. But then if the course is great, money sucks, there's no coverage, it's not going to matter. People aren't going to show up. Yeah, I don't think it matters how good the course is if, it, if you don't have one or the other two. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know what that means. Nice. Okay, what's a bet? Okay, here's a good one. What's a better option for selecting world's location than a bidding process where hardly any clubs opt to bid? This is where this is where I think this is where I think the PDGA, if they want to continue to have worlds be their tournament, this is where I think they need to take a step in the direction of it's our tournament we are going to run it we definitely Absolutely. need volunteers to come and help but this is our tournament we have a staff we can do everything ourselves obviously it's way easier if we do have volunteers to help but they could pull it off themselves and yeah, they just need a course and they just need a course they just need a venue yeah, i think if that was the case we would have bid if that was the case we'd put new london in the hat Mm -hmm. We're not going to put New London in the hat because I don't want to run Worlds. It looks yes. terrifying because if yep. something goes wrong, the PDJ is quick to be like, wasn't us. Yeah. So Local I think, community dropped the ball here or there. So I think if like New London is a perfect example, if, if the PDJ was like, you know what? We want to host Worlds at New London in 2025. I think you would get a lot of support from the local community. And yes. there would be people out there trying to make the course, you know, picking up trash, uh, you know, trying to make the course look as good as possible leading into it. Um, and if the PGJ have like one or two people come down a couple months before to be like, hey, what are we thinking here? What do we you would have? I think a lot of people help. But like you said, like running a tournament that size. And I think that's another huge one, too, is if the tournament was. And again, this is going to get a little crazy, but if the tournament was separate, if, if, if worlds for, for MPO was separate from FPO 
and you did, and we're just going to talk about MPO. If you did the top 100 players made it to Worlds, and now you're only having to deal with 100 players, that tournament is so much easier to run than a tournament where you have 200 plus with two different pools, and then you have, I think, 80 in FPO with two different pools. Like, logistically, that's so much harder to, to handle having two tournaments basically go on at this four tournaments you're really having four tournaments you have mpoa mpob you have fpoa fpob you have four tournaments basically going on at once um that's just way too daunting i think and i think a lot of probably communities a lot of clubs saw what happened at worlds in utah and was like holy crap if like something bad goes happen we just get we get slapped. You get flamed. Yeah. So why would you, I mean, and if something, if it, if it goes well, like nothing really changes. Like, you don't get the credit. Nothing's really happening for you. Yeah, so. That's what happens. Like you go, well, it goes well. The PDGA gets the credit. It goes to crap. The local community gets trashed. Where's the win? Yeah. And it's not like, like having, of, course, of course, no one's bidding for worlds. It's not like hosting the Super Bowl in your city where it's going to bring billions of dollars uh, yeah. in revenue to your city. Right. Like, I don't know if if New London hosted Worlds, what like what is what is uh, Lynchburg Forest? What what is disc golf looking like two weeks after Worlds leaves? Way different, mm-hmm. or is it? You know what I'm saying? Like I don't think you get as much of that kick as you do in other sports because it's just not as big. Yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's a cool thing to say like, oh, we hosted Worlds, but I don't think it's going to be like a, a game changer to the disc golf community, um, if you will. It's not like all of a sudden the, the week after Worlds, you're going to see like thousands of new players playing disc golf. Like, uh, It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah, not for sure. Um, should disc golf be in the Olympics? And we've, I've talked about this before. I, I There's an obsession in disc golf for getting into the Olympics, and I don't quite understand <laughs> it. Because, like, watching people throw a javelin a, in the Olympics does not a, make me want to pick up ja- throwing javelin. It was the same, it was the same way for the, uh, Ultimate. Everyone was like, yeah. oh, if we get in the Olympics, it's game over. Like, that's, it'd be great. Like, exposure-wise, sure. Even exposure-wise. No, we're not going to be show we it. We want to be on TV. When do so, they like, ever what does show it do? The, when do they ever show golf in the Olympics? That's you what I'm to, saying. You have to go to obscure channels to find that. We're not going to be in prime what, time. Yeah, so what? what is it going to do? It's and just what one, countries can even field and event the team? It's, 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 it goes back to just being able to kind of go around and brag that, like, disc golf's in the Olympics. It's, that's all it is. It's not. Yeah. I think uh, people think it would be, like, our big break. Like, that's the moment. But like the, when you think about it, it's like there's so many Olympic sports that you just don't see. And disc golf would definitely be one of them. Okay, this is a good one. Uh, I want to hear both you and Silas's take on this. And maybe even Trevor, if he's in the office, he can chime in. Uh, okay. This person asks, what does slash should make a player fun to watch? So we'll take out the should and we'll just I'll, – I'll turn the, the, it into more of like you personally, what – what do you find in a player that you're like, ooh, this makes this person fun to watch? Silas, think of your answer too, because I'm coming to you next. I personally, I think like passion slash personality coming out. 
So, like, when a player – like, for instance, I've had a hard time rooting for Calvin. Nothing against Calvin. The dude just doesn't show emotion. Like, I like seeing how much stuff means to a player. You know what I mean? Like, Paul used to not really show emotion, but I think after going and being told so many times that he wasn't the player he used to be anymore, watching him at USDGC last year and Worlds this year, that emotion, like, it just makes you feel – like, you can start to feel what the player feels. So when Ricky Raptor legs in, I love that. When Albert Tam did the bazooka thing. Like, I don't know, just like letting their personality out. Mm-hmm. Even when Nico gets ticked off, I get entertained. You know what I'm saying? I think when players let that come through, now they do have to be in contention for it to matter because letting your passion come through when you made a putt to stay in 29th, yeah, I mean, what, it, well, whatever. This is, but if it's a big putt, it is what it is. Well, but. I'm going to say, too, like that's also context, right? Like if that putt qualifies that person for the tour championship, like that's yes, where then I'm, then I'm all for it. That's where context matters. You're saying like if someone just makes a putt on hole four and is just going berserk and they're in 30th place, you're kind of like, yeah. All right. Yeah. But like, yeah. I, I think when, when players let their personality shine a little bit and show how much it means to them, that makes me root for them. Hmm. If that makes sense. Sauce, what you got? What, what, uh, what right. moves the needle for you? Um, I mean, definitely personality has a lot to do with it. Um, just just watching people on coverage just get excited, get nervous, you know, just build that emotion. Um, that is super fun to watch. But also, I think shot selection mm-hmm. is is cool because, you know, if, if, if people are, you know, throwing – same shots you know all tournament and this one guy just throws something different that's exciting that 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 gets the blood pumping because that's new and that's different so i think shot selection shot selection is is the one for me all right i'm gonna send this to our uh text thread i want you guys both to watch this video this was just sent to me um what what is the call here so for those listening um i'll explain it's it's lisa fakus she's like on a like 45 degree side slope and i think it did rain out there i think it was a kind of a slippery mess a little bit and she goes to throw this upshot and it looks like as she's going to pull through her like leg or something kind of slips. Is it pulling up for you guys? It won't play for me. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Now it's playing. Okay. Okay. So as she's pulling through, it looks like her, her lower body, like her, one of her feet slip. So yeah. then she like holds on to the disc to like, it looks like Robbie th- C. It looked like Robbie <laughs> C throwing the 360 at the uh, creator's cup. So, so the kind disc, of. the disc doesn't come out where it normally would. It like comes out like at the end of her follow through. What's the call there? I didn't hear. I didn't listen to it to hear what they were saying. That that should is be that, a stroke. Yeah, is that, that's a throw. I think it's that, a stroke because the a throw, a throw is defined as like a competitive attempt to advance the disc, which she was doing. Yeah, she did take that stroke. It looks like they did. It, it, she did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm watching it now. I'm trying to see. Yeah, she if definitely she ends took up. that stroke. 
Yeah. It's surprising how that Yeah, happens. she marked and played from it. It's surprising how few that happens really in disc golf, though. I've seen it. I saw, um, I won't call him out, but I saw a player who is, I mean, I, he's not like a great pro, but he's like kind of a semi-local legend well, yeah, in the like, Tennessee area. You really can't call him out. Oh, you no, can just he's like say an older Chris guy. Dickerson. You can just say Chris Dickerson. No, it's Dickerson. not Chris it's Dickerson. He's an older guy. Uh, everyone in this area would know him. He was running up, and I guess he was like trying to stop himself from throwing. Like I think he slipped or something, very similar situation, and he just held onto the disc and threw it behind him across the road OB behind the tee <laughs> and it almost hit me we were on the neck we were on the this like hole that's across the road this way and he's throwing this way and we're walking here and the dishes came across and he was like what is it what do I do and everyone was like you threw OB like you read T with a penalty he's like well but I slipped and it's like it didn't matter you you threw the disc it was the craziest thing I've ever watched but oh, very man. similar to what Lisa did there but yeah it, it sucks but it was a competitive attempt to advance the disc, and the disc came out of her hand. I've never where seen it ends up, it like ends that. up. That's wild. That was crazy. Any other good ones on Twitter, or is that that? Um, let me see. Let me like see. She just held on it for way too long. Yeah. That, that was interesting. Should all courses have an ace run or eagle opportunity? Also in course design. Where does the line get drawn on difficulty and fan enjoyment? I love watching someone throw a huge drive and make an impressive putt, but if five out of 18 holes can be eagled, then it's too easy for you guys. This is, this is again, one where it's like, I, I think no one's going to have, no one's going to have a really good opinion. And that's why I think some, ter- some tournaments need to be harder than others. Right. And and not just weather dependent. Right. Like some tournaments need to be designed to where the winner is going to be 12 to 15 under par. And then you can have other tournaments where the winner is going to be 40 under par. Um, because I, I think people enjoy watching different things both ways. Yeah. I think I think eagleable par fours and, and stuff like that are exciting as long as there's risk involved. If it's just a you know very simple like everyone's three in this hole and then like simon or double g can two it what's the fun in that but when it's you know oh he's going for the green it's a 550 foot shot blind corner you know the green's like near impossible to reach he went for it and then he hits a 60 foot putt for the eagle and like there is a ton of ob that he avoided and stuff to where like going for that could have brought in the possibility of like a five or a six that's exciting uh, I think that's what makes it exciting versus even if you had two or three of those on a course, if someone got all of them, it's incredible versus if it's two or three really soft par fours and someone gets all of them, it's like, yeah, yeah well, everyone's birdieing those anyways. So I think it's when on holes where the average score is around par, but someone's able to eagle it and in doing so, they're also bringing in the possibility of like a double bogey. That's when it's electric. Will Kristen Tatar win out the season? Ooh, there's three events left now. Yeah, uh, four. We'll call it four events. So it'll throw be, pink women's. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put throw pink women's in there as well because really that is. I mean, they're playing the same exact course. It's a, it should be a major. Trevor yeah. and I said we're gonna make shirts that says like it's a major to us or something like that. <laughs> it's our maybe, major. Maybe yeah, maybe still workshop that a little bit. We got We got We had it. We had the slogan. What'd you say, Trevor? 
a major in our hearts. That's what we have. Okay, there you go. Throw pink. Just throw sense. pink. So we're yeah. gonna have pink shirts. that says a major in our hearts. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. And we'll be on coverage uh, okay. if we get down there. Um, but because I mean, it feels more like a major than U.S. Women's, if we're being honest. Yes. Um, one hundred percent. Is she gonna win out? Could she win out? Absolutely. It's probably more likely for her to win out than not to win out. I'd say. Were you surprised go, yeah. with her dominance in this course that was heavily no. wooded? No. Not at all. So you, so you think every course she goes to, the course doesn't matter her for her. Her game's so solid. She has a solid forehand, really good backhand. Her putting's incredible. I just don't think, like, I think Paige at her best is, it would be, like, competitive with Kristen right now. In, like, an open course. And I don't think, yeah. Or you're I mean, wooded, too. I'm just saying, Paige can play wooded courses, wooded golf. She's won Maple Hill several times. I think Paige at her best and Kristen at where she's playing at now would be competitive. Mm. So I think it's, it's very possible, but Kristen could also go out, you know, poop the bed one round and finish third. Will, the but yeah, I'll say she is going to win out. Uh, okay. This is an interesting one. Will the distance world record be broken next by big strides in form or disc technology? I think disc technology distance world record will never be broken. Oh, just because that, that one day. Yeah, I think the disc. I think the disc distance world record needs to be redone with a structure of like a wind limit. Like you can only have like if it's over a twenty mile an hour tailwind, it, you nix it. Maybe even less. Maybe ten mile an hour tailwind. It doesn't count. Mm. Kind of like in running, they have that. Like you can still run the race, but if you set a record and you had too much of a tailwind, it it doesn't. It's too much of a helping wind. You can't count. I think that's how the disc, because like no one's throwing a disc 1,200 feet unless we go back to the desert with a 70 mile an hour tailwind again. Yeah, throwing throwing a putter 500 feet without any wind is very hard. Yeah. Some may say near, some may say near impossible. How far are you guys throwing? It. How far how far are you in size throwing a putter? Flat ground, no wind. Flat ground, no wind. 12 attempts. I think I could hit like 315. Silas? I don't know, like two, 260. You got more than that, didn't you? Yeah. I, well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go over. All right, because last time I said something, I got over, and that is true. And I, I don't want these go. games. It's always safe what, to go under. Uh, yeah. What was that's, the, and uh, that's why I went under. What was the longest one at the Creators Cup? It's like three. It was a full football field. Yeah, I think it was three fifty. Three, yeah, somewhere in there. It was like both both end zones. Yeah, so that that'd be three sixty. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There you have it. Impressive. Boom. Silas breaking three hundred feet with a putter. That's the goal. That could be. That that would be a challenge. It'd be tough. Size, you if you really wanted to like break down your form for like two months and be absolutely trash at disc golf, you could throw I know, far. I need to do that. I you need could to throw do far. That. I really need to do that. The problem is this is the problem. People do not want to get worse. No. It's so hard. Right. You have to get worse to get better. You at disc have golf. to you have to just say, I am going to suck at throwing a disc for uh, several months. But I'm going to be better at the end of it. Yeah, but the reward is is great. Yeah, it just sucks getting there. It just depends what your goal is. Because, like, for me, I'm as good as I need to be. 
So I don't want to go through getting worse to get better. Uh, that is if true. I can be, if, I'm, if I'm competitive with Trevor, I'm as good as I need to be. That's all. What if Trevor, goes into, what if Trevor starts going into this crazy offseason program? If Trevor <laughs> goes off in the offseason, it's going to be interesting for me. I'd have, to, I'd have to make something happen. He's not going to, though. He could. He's when you guys come down here, we might have to do a boot camp situation. We still, have, we still have to do the ultimate frizzy boot camp for Foundation Nation. Gosh, we need to do that. Well, you no, put it's us not through that. the combine. combine. Ultimate frizzy yes. combine. Yeah, yeah, you got to put us through that. God, we can do it. We'll do it. We'll do it when you come down here because it won't be as hot. Brody, I've been playing some ultimate lately. It's fun, man. Are you shredding or what? I'm not shredding. But I've been, I've Explain been, to me I've been the getting ultimate, into it. Explaining to me the ultimate. Just paint me the picture of the ultimate you're playing. How many people? Uh, how many people on both okay. sides? Okay. Well, I went into this indoor soccer facility here. You've been playing indoor um, ultimate. Okay. Indoor and outdoor. Um, we played five v five. Yeah. Um, and I, what do you call it when you? You don't throw off when you win a point. You just go. You pull. go right into it. Oh, okay. oh! No you're doing you're no. doing the one where if you score, if you score, you just give it to the other team and, and they start going go. the other way. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's that's like not really a thing other than just it's like ba- in basketball when you're playing basketball. It's like, like pickup. Uh, yeah, when you're playing pickup basketball, I, I didn't you're know not, if that was a term. No, but it's it, yeah. It's been fun though. I like There's it. just not really a reason to do a poll if you're playing like casual like that in indoor. Yeah. Like the 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 field is so small that throwing off doesn't really make too much sense if you're just doing casual because it's so small of a field. No, yeah. Are you skying they, uh, the trash have... out of people? Are people just are they just lobbing it up to you and you're just like skying the trash out of people? Or there, what? There's been a little bit of that. There's been a little bit of that. Do you think you could? You okay? One v one with everyone in the office. Do you think you would be the best receiver? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, you, you. I don't think you could catch as good as me. But if a if a frisbee toss high, I can't jump to yeah, save my life. Just, so I'm not, well, gotta, I'm not gonna gotta, argue that. You got to be able to read the disc, Hunter, and body yeah. him well, out. I could definitely, I could do that. But I'm saying I couldn't. I, if it just came to a jumping contest, I have the it's worst vertical in the office. It's not a jumping contest, though. If, if you get in between him and the disc and he has to run around you. But you Silas could jump out, over me and just. Not if, you, not if you know how to body properly. I'll have to send you some clips of, the, uh, of one of the best in the game, Tim Garrett. Is it like he's, boxing out? Basketball yeah, style? He's, he's like five. So, okay, I can be like, pretty good at that. He was like five. I get foot Silas n- off. Yeah, me. you can you can do that. I yeah, can move he, Silas around. He was like five foot nine and was actually very good in the air, simply because of just his body position. He was always able to get in front of the defender and kind of shield the defender off until the very last second, and then he would go and attack the disc. So there mm-hmm. is a way of doing it um, to where it's without not that just, knowledge, I still don't think it's me. I think it would be between Silas and Trevor because I think Trevor has enough athletic ability and would catch better than Silas, Trevor, but yeah. Silas would be able to get up. Because Silas, so. if your hands if your hands are like bricks, they might just oh, play for bricks. they might just play for you doinking it and then just playing for to, like the. I, I used to play wide receiver and and tight end, uh, JV. All right, JV. Football. I can see you being a tight end. Cross the middle. 
Well, Jason's, I'm not, I'm not the best, plowing people but down. Certainly, certainly not the worst. No gloves, though. No gloves allowed in no this glo- contest. Yeah, no gloves. Yeah. No gloves. All right. All right. Well, there you so, have it. Let us know in the comments down to. below who you think would win that contest. Best receiver in the office. Uh, we also do have a employee that works the retail store that plays Club Ultimate. So Whoa. he probably wins. He'd probably win. You better. You, you out. Are you snatching better than Nico. Nico. Uh, <laughs> Nico can jump. Okay. Nico can jump. So. Okay. So Silas is willing to be humble for that one at least. All right. Well, there you have it. That's debate night. Next week we'll talk through GMC and get Brody's thoughts on the MVP open and uh, have a little more content coming at you. If you haven't checked out the store yet, be sure to do so. Uh, we have a lot of new. We. I honestly, I think this is the biggest discraft selection we have seen since COVID on our site. We have not had this many discraft options mold-wise mm. in stock in years, I'm do willing to say. Do we have any shirts, too, available? If we do. Buggy Bro shirts are still live on the site. One of my favorite shirts you've ever ran, Brody repping it. Uh, still have 20 or so of them, so not many left. Um, Ooh, pick those up before so, they're gone, folks. Yeah, you'd have to act fast to grab one of those. But, yeah, foundationdisc.com if you want to check out all of that. Other than that, we'll be back same time, I've, same place. I have oh, one thing. Throw it to Brody. Broncos Nation, let's ride. (laughs) All right, we'll talk to you next week.